Are you sitting comfortably? Better crack on then. Welcome to episode eight of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we place the whoopee cushion of comedy on the Parker Knoll armchair of literature. My name is Jonathan Pinnock, and I'm the author of the mathematical mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farago Books. My guest today is the poet and podcaster Neil Lawrenson. I first came across Neil when he submitted a couple of poems to a website I'd just started up called Spilling Cocoa Over Martin Amos. I liked what he'd sent in, and I noted from his bio that he'd had a collection published called Exclamation Marks. That's marks as in Carl, or possibly Groucho, or possibly even both. I bought myself a copy and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I noticed the publisher was Silhouette Press, who turned out to be currently open to submissions. And that's how my own collection, Love and Lost and Other Important Stuff, also ended up being published by Silhouette Press, with indeed a blurb from Neil on the cover. So yes, I found another way to make this podcast all about me. Um, according to his website, Neil used to dress up as Tony Blair and assume that people would interpret this habit as a protest rather than a tribute. He has since become a parent and a counsellor and has resisted the urge to wear a latex mask to make a point. His children are grateful for this. He has read the Cheltenham Poetry Festival, Ledbury Poetry Festival, Worcester Lit Fest and Fringe and in several other places. He will do more poetry readings in exchange for sporadic applause. I'd also recommend seeking out a piece he wrote for the Cambridge Alumni website about his time at Hollandhead College, if only for the absolutely adorable photo of him and his wife above it. Welcome, Neil. Uh, hi, thank you for inviting me, Jonathan. Yeah, good to see you again. Well, see you for the first yeah. time, actually. We've uh, communicated indeed. a lot. Um, <laughs> yes. good, good to speak with you again. Indeed, indeed. Well, we'll talk more later about uh, Neil and his work, but we'll begin by looking at the book that Neil has chosen to discuss, which is David Nichols's debut novel, Start of a Ten, which, according to Wikipedia, is a novel first published in 2003 about the character Brian Jackson and his first year of university, 1985-86, his attempts to get on the Granada Television Quiz Show University Challenge, and his tentative attempts at romance with Alice Harbinson, another member of the University Challenge team. The title is taken from an opening question to a round on the quiz show worth 10 points, known as the team Starter for 10. Because this reference might be lost on American readers, it was originally released as a question of attraction when it was published in the United States. It was adapted in 2006 as the film Starter for 10. So, Neil, would you like to summarise the plot? I'd like to summarise the plot. Well, Brian Jackson uh, from Southend in Essex, is uh, about to embark on his first year at university, and I believe it's uh, Bristol, although it's not mentioned in the book. It's mm. clearly a semi-autobiographical book based on uh, David Nichols's own experience at university. So Brian Jackson's about to start his first year, and um, he finds out that there's a university challenge uh, team being formed by a chap called Patrick, and at the same time that he finds out about the university challenge team being put together, he bumps into Alice Harbinson, who he is very much attracted to, and spends most of the book trying to uh, get together with Alice, and also meets a female called Rebecca, 
Rebecca Epstein and well, I was going to put a spoiler in there about the ending. <laughs> yes. um, I think we can, then, it's going to be hard to discuss this without spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, those are the three main characters. So Brian Jackson is about to start uni. He meets Alice Harbinson, who he's very attracted to. He meets her at uni and he also meets Rebecca Epstein, a Glaswegian communist. And there are various other wonderful characters, Spencer and Tone, who are in <laughs> South End. They, they make a fairly regular appearance. Well, maybe they could have been more regularly featured actually because they're so entertaining but anyway yeah i agree with you there yeah, yeah um the spencer and toner in south end while brian is being very pretentious in what we believe is bristol patrick as i said the university challenge team leader uh lucy is on the team alice is on the team uh, brian gets in because uh, colin uh, becomes very ill and yeah, Alice's parents, Rose and Michael, they, they make a very amusing appearance at one point. Probably, probably my favourite scene in the whole book. Where, yes, it's um, excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think about it quite a lot um, <laughs> because it's so funny. I mean, when I think about Start of Ten, I think about that scene in particular when uh, Brian goes to stay at Alice's cottage. Well, Alice's parents' cottage, uh, Rose and Michael. And uh, yeah, Brian basically gets stoned with Alice and ends up embarrassing himself in front of Alice's naked parents. It's quite an achievement, actually, for Brian to be the embarrassed one when Alice's parents are the one in the nud. But there we are. It's just yeah. wonderfully written. It's, it's beautifully yeah. set up, isn't it? Because it, 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 it's one of those things where one thing leads to another and to another and to another. And, and uh, it, it gives, ends, ends in a wonderful sort of image, doesn't it? Well, it, yeah, I mean, the, the image, basically, Michael, <laughs> Michael, um, Alice's father, comes down the stairs um, because he's been disturbed by Brian interrupting Rose's uh, midnight visit to the, the fridge. And anyway, Rose is naked while she's prying into the fridge. And then Michael comes down. He's also naked. And Brian, in his stoned uh, way, looks up and says that he seems to be clutching a, of Michael he says he seems to be clutching a rolled umbrella between his legs and that, that's an image that will haunt me to, the, to my dying <laughs> day <laughs> um, but, but, um, it's just you know that's just one funny line but yeah David Nichols um, this is the first book and yeah he's just having a lot of fun with it it's just some and, terrific rhythmic writing as well isn't it I mean there's one paragraph I've, I've picked up I can do this Finally, we arrive at Kenwood Manor. I'd avoided the halls of residence as I'd been advised on the university open day that they were dull and institutional and packed full of Christians. The reality is somewhere between a lunatic asylum and a minor public school. Long, echoing corridors, parquet floors, the smell of damp underwear drying on a lukewarm radiator, and the sense that somewhere something terrible is happening in a toilet. I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful paragraph. Yeah, and... One thing I love about David Nichols, and I've only, I've confessed, I've only read Stars of Ten and, and One Day, and obviously I want to read all the others. But one thing in, that's got in common with, with both books is just the way he creates that sense of place. He's just an absolute mm. master, the, the detail upon detail, without it seeming listy in any way. It's just yeah. very authentic and, and funny at the same time. I mean, there's another great one where, where they're talking, where the, the scene in the restaurant, where he goes out for this first date with, with, with Alice, and they're, they're, they're placed on, on on a table right next to the toilet and there's this yeah. lovely description of, of a faint smell of a harpic <laughs> it's just yeah, a lovely I mean, very specific reference and it just ties yeah. it beautifully 
I mean, it's in 1985 to 1986, so the time frame's really specific. Um, and yeah. if you were around in, the, in those days, um, it, it, the book's going to be entertaining just for the musical cultural references. I mean, it's absolutely yeah. stacked with references to pop music from the 80s, and I'm obsessed with 80s pop music. Yeah. So for that reason alone, I love this book. The film, I, I, I watched that last night, and, and it's got a wonderful soundtrack. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say that from for my, for my own opinion... I, from my own point of view, sorry, I, I don't think the film quite did justice to the book. But then there's always going to be a hard task to match the book because mm. the book's so great. But yeah, I don't really remember the songs in the film, but I do remember the, the references in the book. I was just going to say about Luigi's, you know, the yeah. restaurant's called Luigi's, mm. and they're, they're playing the theme tune from the, the Cornetto advert. And, <laughs> and uh, there's mention of, like you say, the parquet floor and uh, Lambrusco Bianco. And it's yeah. just so culturally, uh, historically um, specific. I mean, I was three years old in 1985, so I, w- I won't have been in the habit of going to Italian restaurants at that age. But even so, um, I, I can tell straight away that this is absolutely authentic, yeah. which again adds to the humour. Um, mm. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah. Oh, and in that rest- um, the restaurant scene when um, Alice talks about previous lovers that she's had, it's just excruciating. I'm, I feel yes. him. I feel kind of awkward now just thinking about it. So the way she just lists previous lover after previous lover and Brian Jackson mm. just has to sit there and listen, it's uh, it's really mortifying and so well yeah. done. Okay, let's look at categorizations. Is this a campus novel or is it a coming-of-age no- novel? Well, I have to say say both, really. Yeah, it um, is really. I mean, so. it, is, it is officially, well, I say, if you call Wikipedia the official arbiter of what... what <laughs> what is and isn't that's um, how uh, academic I am these days so I go on wiki but uh, according to wikipedia it's a campus novel um, mm. so it's grouped with others like uh, Lucky Jim and you know I can't think of another example to sound clever but you know what I mean it's a campus yeah. novel from my point of view I mean in, in many ways it's, it's the sort of vibe to it reminds me a lot of Gregory's Girl and that sort of yeah I mean I've, I've not watched that. Ah, it's, it's, it's a lovely film. It's a dreadful. It's, 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 I've not watched it. <laughs> uh, you should definitely watch that one. It's, it's, it's a lovely film. But it, means... it, it is one of those stories where, where it, it the, the sort of, I suppose the the moral, if it's not giving too much away, is is it, it's the the old Jagger and Richard thing that you know um, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes you might just get what you need. <laughs> yeah, but it's again when you go to university. Well, again, it's one reason why I love Start of the Ten so much is because I can completely identify with that sort of, you know, about to enter this completely different environment, that feeling of, you know, excitement and anxiety and, and wanting to basically meet someone that you're going to fancy. Mm. And um, is coming of age is a definition of that someone growing up at a rapid pace in a new environment I don't know but I mean it's funny though because Brian Jackson doesn't really grow up that much um, <laughs> he's still mm. still the awkward pretentious you know infatuated person at the end of the book that he is um, at the start of the book so he's not really done much grown up in in my view but maybe someone yeah, would disagree th- I, th- I think it's some ways. I'm just wondering if that's one of the things that bothers me slightly. That you know, he doesn't really grow up. Although, uh, on, he, although interestingly, 
that is something that is different in the film because in the book, without giving too much away, he pretty he pretty much runs away from from his life in uh, in in one university and start and starts elsewhere again, doesn't he? I think. Yeah. I Whereas mean, that, in, in 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 the film, which is also written by David Nichols, he actually faces goes back to face up to his his yeah, failure, if you like. There's another plot uh, difference as well, where Alice uh, shacks up with Spencer <laughs> yes. in, in the film, and uh, I didn't like that. But then maybe that's just because I'm a purist and I like the book to be reflected completely in the film. Mm. Um, but it, it, but then it did kind of make sense that Spencer, this sort of overconfident, cool dude from Southend, would take his chances uh, when visiting Brian at university. He, it was almost inevitable, um, yeah, certainly but, but, from but, watching the film, that he would end up with Alice because he's such a cool guy, whereas Brian isn't. So it yeah, just makes sense in, in a way. Yeah, in, in the book, after that sort of cataclysmic party, it's it's almost as if, He's not sure what to do with with Spencer because he just sort of disappears and goes back to to South End. Whereas in this one, he actually does perform a in, in the film. He actually does perform more of a function. Yeah, I think it's just too tempting. Yeah, it, and, it, it's a bit too know, pat, isn't it? I suppose in some ways. Well, you know, Spencer's a really interesting character in the book. He's really cool, but you know, conflicted guy. He's clearly very right. clever, and he's not the one going to university. He ends up being done done for shoplifting and. And he's just really undersold himself. Um, so he's a really complex character. He's got some great lines in the book as well, um, especially when he's with Tone. And, you know, the three of them, Brian, Tone and Spencer, are having the usual sort of lad patter in the pub, taking the mickey yeah. out of each other. And Spencer's obviously a really clever and complex guy. Whereas in the film, he's, he's essentially, you know, a mischievous love interest that was, it makes sense in a 90-minute film. But in in the book, he's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. So I did get why they changed the plot slightly. It wasn't a fundamental change to the book, but nonetheless, uh, I, I couldn't help but disagree with it. But yeah, I do I do understand why they did it. Coming of age. To come back to that, I'm, I'm the more I talk about it, think about it, that the less I believe it is really under that that heading. I think it's very much to answer your question with one answer. It's a campus novel. I suppose if you're looking at other campus novels to compare it with, I'm not sure how does it fit in. It's not. It's not really Lucky Jim. It's not really History Man or that sort of thing because those are more to do with the academics rather than the the undergraduates. And in fact, most I'm trying to think which how many how many campus novels do focus on undergraduates. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not the expert here. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about one that we did on on on, on this podcast few episodes back emotionally weird by kate atkinson okay that sort of fits in actually i wonder if it did sort of fit same sort of vibe to that although that protagonist seemed a bit more clued up <laughs> don't know. You like, um, behind the museum or, or something like that like anyway yeah that, that it was uh, that's right it was her, her third novel and it's uh, it's a good read yeah I, it's not that I, I reached for a book that could be classified as a campus novel. I mean, I, I found the book. Um, I, I basically nicked it from my wife, who just bought it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I can't remember actually whether I read it as soon as she bought it or whether I 
I allowed her to read her own purchase and then I read it. But yeah, I, I, I devoured it and it wasn't a book that I actively sought, but I'm so pleased that I found it because, you know, it's since inspired me to write my own campus novel about my own days at university and I've had an absolute blast. I mean, it's been painful writing a book, as you know, you've written several. Um, <laughs> Tell me but, about it, yeah. Um, it's really, really painful, but, you know, editing, I'd never thought it'd be so difficult. But to actually to, to indulge in that trip down memory lane and 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 it's amazing what you can remember when you put your mind to it. As, I mean, David Nichols. Uh, the story goes that he was really cross about a screenwriting project that had been abandoned. Had he not been told sooner than he would have liked? He was mm. well into this project, and he'd spent many many hours writing scripts, and then the project was cancelled and he was apparently so cross that he poured his energy into start of the 10 i'm so glad he did but he must have had so much fun although he yeah. the starting place might have been a place of, of anger and frustration you know allegedly wrote it in three months so I mean, what a I, prolific I, period yeah I, I think you cannot you can detect a bit of anger in that lurking out in the surface can't you well there's, there's anger in terms of um the politics the political context at the time and it it, 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 the politics comes into one day to a much lesser extent I mean David Nichols is clearly on on the left of the spectrum and that is sort of channeled through his characters not to say that they're just mouthpieces for what he thinks although inevitably there's going to be a bit of you in your characters so but yeah there's clear, clear clear anger about you know, the politics of the mid-80s. But it's not, by any stretch, a political novel, this start of a tale. No, this is a, no, this is This is a dance down memory lane for, for David Nichols and an excuse to... Well, not an excuse, but a, a mechanism to share lots of brilliant gags, mm. all in service to the plot, of course. They're not just there for the sake of it. They're there to underline what an awkward, nerdy guy Brian Jackson is, usually. Mm. And it's very funny. Yeah. I mean, what what do you think makes, what are the elements that make it funny? Well, like I said, for, for me, it's that um, specific detail that ties mm. it down to a particular period of history. That, that, I just find the, the way layers on, you know, time-specific nouns and musical references. But, you know, I've got, as quotes lined up, I mean, and again, the, what makes it funny to me is that, I recognise so much of my own university experience in, in Start for Ten. So if you'll allow me just to share a bit from the book. Yeah, it's sure. Right at the beginning. It says, what I'm really looking forward to is the autumn. So this is autumn 1985. He's about to start university. Mm. Looking forward to kicking through leaves on the way to a lecture, talking excitedly about the metaphysical poets with a girl called Emily or Catherine or Francois or something with black opaque woolly tights and a Louise Brooks bob then going back to her tiny attic room and making love in front of her electric bar fire. Afterwards, we'll read T.S. Eliot aloud and drink fine vintage port out of tiny little glasses while listening to Miles Davis. That's what (laughs) I imagine it's going to be like anyway, the university experience. I like the word experience. It makes it sound like a ride at Alton Towers. You know, it's... it's (laughs) That is lovely, isn't it? And that again underlines the the point about the specific detail. What, what, What David Nichols does seemingly effortlessly he mixes the lowbrow with the highbrow so you've got Alton Towers there and you've got T.S. Eliot in the, in the same paragraph and, and he gets away with it time and time again yeah um, uh, it's just absolutely amazing it's so much fun 
So yeah, that, that's just one example. Um, it's, so it's that, that detail that, that gives it that authenticity, but also allows him, you know, it gives him that platform for sharing some really good gags. Yeah. And as you said, the, 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 the range of characters is, 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 is so nicely drawn. And they're not just, I mean, they're one or two who are, are pretty much caricatures, but they're only minor, minor characters. The, the, the other ones, are, the, the main characters are, are, are quite complex. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Spencer, yeah. his school friend in South End. I, th- I think in out loud talking about it with you now. I think possibly he could have been, uh, you know, more. Fe- well, I've already said featured more frequently in the book him and Tone, but particularly Spencer because he's such an interesting character. And and Rebecca Epstein, I think yeah. talk caricatures. I think she's probably the most, uh, you know, the largest caricature in the book. If, if I may be slightly negative about it. Because, I, you know, like I say, Glaswegian communists. She talks. She refers to Brian Jackson by his surname, sort of this attempt at aloofness. And, and yeah, it. I mean, I I was a bit like Rebecca Epstein, certainly towards the end of uni, and I am to, to an extent now. You know, tub thumping politics, trying to force my opinion down people's throats, and um, well, maybe I've mellowed out a bit in my late 30s, but certainly in my 20s, I was very much like Rebecca Epstein. So I do understand that that university type, you know, political character is fairly common and it's not beyond the realms that someone like Rebecca Epstein would actually exist. But, but even mm. so, it's just felt that she did veer into caricature a little bit too much for my liking. Do you think that, I mean, Spoiler alert, I guess. Do you think that Brian actually earns his relationship with her? Um, I, I don't, to be honest. I don't, <laughs> and, and I've, yeah, it's, it's a funny one because he spends most of the book in pursuit of Alice and mm. it all seems a bit of a lost cause. And that sort of obviously makes it funnier, the fact that he's this you know, perennial loser and he's never going to get with Alice. So it seems, I'm not going to spoil mm. it trying not to anyway yeah and then it seems Rebecca's kind of like second best well of course she is by definition of the fact that Brian's always going on about Alice so Rebecca kind of second best and does he earn you know her affections I I wonder why Rebecca actually bothers with them to be honest Mm. she's always putting him down what does she see in Brian I'm I don't really know the answer to that it's, it's almost out of spite. Like, she, is, she, is she spiting Alice by wanting to be with Brian? Or does she actually like Brian Jackson? But if she does actually like him, what is it about him that's made her like him? Mm. I, I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not by any means saying that start for 10 is 10 out of 10. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm not trying um, to chip away at it. I'm, I'm just trying to sort yeah, of... Yeah. I mean, what book is 10 out of 10? Um, yeah. Well, I suppose, I suppose there are plenty of so-called perfect novels. So, I mean, Great Gatsby springs to mind, but not, you know, I'm not especially well-read. Great Gatsby's, Great Gatsby's less funny, though. Well, yeah, of course. But I, I'm, I've got, probably struggled to find fault in, in that book. I know it's a fairly predictable book to mention, but I love it. And I've read it twice, and there's not many books that I've read twice. I loved it so much yeah. the first time. But we started for 10, yeah, Rebecca Epstein it does seem a caricature, and I think more could have been done to make Brian more attractive to Rebecca. And you know, it's it's a debut novel. 
so I do think you have to be a bit easy. I mean, I'm I'm writing yeah. a book, and I'm I can't wait for it to be out there. And I'm, I'm and then of course people will tear it to shreds, but then that's what you put yourself up for, isn't it? Yeah. Well, speaking of someone, I, I had a wonderful one-star review today of someone who gave a five-star review to a load of bin liners. So you know. Yeah, I mean. I mean, yeah, thank you. That, that's just ridiculous. And I'm sure, I'm absolutely <laughs> sure that's just someone being rude for the sake of being rude. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read some really cutting reviews of Dark for Ten on, on Goodreads. Um, I'm not going to start quoting them now, oh. finding myself. But, yeah, a bit, yeah, bit of advice. Stay, stay well clear of Goodreads. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I mean, I, it, I, yeah, I you should never myself. read your own reviews. Yeah, yeah. You know, not following your own advice. But no, I, I don't not. know whether David Nichols. <laughs> David Nichols follows um, reads his own reviews or not it's beside the point and it's up to him but you know the, the guys sold uh, millions and millions of books and uh, fair play to him because they're, they're astoundingly funny and detailed and relatable and I'm picking fault in fantastic book but it's mm. fairly my fault because the book is is 350 pages long and I, I was absolutely zipped through it and I'm a really slow reader um, yeah, that's, that's I, I, I did exactly the same. Yeah, it's it's it, it's a it's a very very smooth read, and it's... and you don't, you don't find yourself being jerked out of it, saying, "Hang on, what happened there?" It just it does feel like a a, a good organic read. Yeah, so yeah. you know, there's, I mean, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of anything else that I would say is wrong wrong with the book. That's when I when I think about the book, which I do fairly regularly, particularly that scene. In uh, Alice's parents' kitchen, um, <laughs> I, I do. Oh, there, there was, there was, there was. I, I remember now. There's a wonderful detail in that scene that I, I made a note of. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Mrs. Harkins, um, and I say brightly. I expect her to cover her nakedness with her arms, but she doesn't seem that bothered really, and just reaches nonchalantly for a National Trust tea towel, which she wraps around her waist and holds at her hip like a sarong. I can see the word Sissinghurst running down her thigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, and that's that is typical of the whole book like like i said earlier about the scene in luigi's and there are other details like throughout um brian jackson will grab himself a snack he talks about a, a healthy breakfast and uh, i've got it here it says uh, i eat a healthy nutritious breakfast from the news agents a chocolate covered muesli bar and a liter of pineapple just juice so you know it's just that that detail just juice i remember just use yeah. I think they're still around. And you talked about that. You mentioned the tea towel, and there's frequent mentions to Lilt, uh, mm. Twix, Coke, yeah. Kit Kats, uh, Skull Lager. It just it just adds to the human because you yeah. you remember. Oh, I was you know not even you know, in my teens then, but I, I can remember these things. And uh, yeah, it's it's just if anyone wanted to write a book, I would definitely recommend start for 10 just mm. due to the detail the, the way that david nichols yeah. invents a place so quickly through specific um, brand names nouns and the, the mixture of the lowbrow or the highbrow creating that humor yeah. it's just yeah. yeah and you talked about rhythm as well that it really does just flow effortlessly well not effortlessly of course but you know, it seems to yes. be seems to be yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, well, one thing I was going to say is that one thing Rebecca s says to Brian in the film, I'm not sure it's in the book, is promise me one thing, please don't ever show me your poetry. <laughs> <laughs> the poetry yeah. 
occupies an important useful role in popular culture, isn't it? As, as something that we can all agree on as being massively pretentious. So um, speaking as one poet to another. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a scene in the book actually, he's in a supervision and they're talking about um, Andrew Marvel and the whole, well, the scene is basically a riff on how pretentious poetry is and how you can debate it forever and it still doesn't make any sense. And yeah, poetry is um, mentioned, like T.S. Eliot, Andrew Marvel, uh, Wordsworth, Prelude. There's just loads and loads of poetry references alongside the pop music references, the film references, uh, philosophers, Derrida's mentioned. It's just absolutely rammed with cultural references. But yeah, poetry is... Uh, famously unpopular but then Brian Jackson is going to university to study English literature so it's he, he's obviously obliged to, to study it and and again there's there's some humor there because most people would regard poetry as a waste of time whereas he's yeah. you know banking on spending three years studying it but yeah poetry how can we convince the masses to enjoy poetry it's, <laughs> it's a difficult one yeah so moving on to your own poetry how long um, have you always you've always regarded yourself as a poet? Is it has that been something you've always done, or is it something you picked no, up on? I mean, I don't write as much poetry as I like to. I'm not very prolific at all. But um, no, I started getting into poetry. Well, I was at university studying English literature, like Brian Jackson. So there's 15 year age gap between myself and David Nichols. So he started in '85. I started at uni in 2000, and I actually got distracted from my, my English literature degree. I was in the library and I was um, picking up a book of poetry or books of poetry by Philip Larkin and Tom Gunn, and people like that. Oh yeah. And they weren't on the syllabus. This is a funny thing. Um, so I was reading lots of poetry that I wasn't especially en enjoying on my degree, but I was clearly very interested in poetry, but just not the poetry I was meant to be studying. And Philip Larkin was the biggest reason for me getting involved or becoming interested in 2002. Uh, around about then and of, of course I then wrote dreadful Larkin parodies uh, <laughs> in my early 20s it's a very typical story and then I abandoned poetry for quite a while actually maybe yeah four or five years and then wrote more dreadful poetry and then only maybe 2013-14 I was, I was you know there was this website called um, Ideas Tap and oh, unfortunately, yeah. it's closed down now, I think, because mm. of funding cuts. But it's, it's how I found out about Silhouette Press. Right. You know, Ideas Tap was the website. And, uh, oh, it was Here Comes Everyone magazine, which is still going. Yeah, thankfully. it's still going, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here Comes Everyone magazine in Coventry. And they were asking for a submission. And, and the theme of the magazine for which they were inviting submissions was it called Never Mind the Ballots. So I thought, well, that's, not, that's good, because I'm interested in politics, having become involved through the Iraq war when I was at uni, 2003. So poetry and politics happened for me at the same time. Although I don't write a lot of political poetry, thankfully, because it's probably <laughs> fairly unbearable. I'm not, no Elvis McGonagall, he's, he's the one for your political poetry, or maybe Luke Wright, people know what they're doing. And uh, what was I saying? Yeah, uh, never mind the ballots. Um, so I submitted this poem and, uh, or piece this parody piece it got in and then they were doing more themed uh, editions and they still are 
and that made me take it more seriously because I thought wow these people are interested in what I'm doing and in 2015 the editors of Here Comes Everyone magazine uh, Adam and Gary they they actually came to Worcester where I am and um, they they said we'd like to publish more of your poetry and it became the first collection published by Silhouette Press called Exclamation Marks so yeah you can call me a poet but really I was a poet five years ago when that was published since then I only I rarely write poetry but I'm always turning back to it I'm always reading about it reading poetry and at the moment I'm writing trying to write a book very much in the vein of start of a 10 but again like start of 10 it's full of poetry references so whatever writing I, I try to do I, I always steer back to poetry mm. so I caught myself a poet but really I'm a very uh well sporadic yeah to use that <laughs> word again sporadic poet that's what I am yeah. I, mean, I was going to I was going to ask you if you'd had if you found it difficult to get a collection of what is mainly what are mainly humorous poems published but it sounds like you weren't actively looking for that. I just I think the cliche about timing and I think think about it is you know so true because Adam and Gary were looking for to, to publish sort of as, as a test of strength really you know they were a new publisher and they wanted to see if they could do it and I, I'd been submitting poems to them for the preceding year and a half or two years and it just you know, and that sounds cliche, but I just think our, our paths aligned. You know, it was like I was submitting, and they were looking to publish their first collection, and they asked me the question, and of course, I said yes. Um, yeah. And I thought, I thought, wow, I've only really been seriously writing poetry for two <laughs> years, and I've got got a collection published. And I, I was under the false impression that it was always going to be that easy. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, I submitted. Um, uh, twice the amount of poems that I, that I sent to Silhouette Press to a publisher who I won't name, I thought I had a really decent chance of being published because I've been buying books from them and following them avidly on social media mm. and bigging up the poets that were already on their roster. And I'd met the, some of the poets, I performed alongside some of them. I just mm. thought I was in a very decent shout of being published by them. And uh, they turned me down and I was absolutely gutted. <laughs> I, was, I was so gutted that I felt unwell and I took it really, really badly. I'm not, I'm, I, maybe I should be ashamed to admit that, but at the time... No, there's no shame in admitting that at all because I've yeah, been there. Yeah. I've been I, felt, there. I felt really bad, um, physically yeah. unwell. But in a, in a funny way, um, it uh, motivated me to start writing the book and that's when I was I'd, I'd finished Start for 10. And so I'd, I'd read well, this it, wonderful it, book and I got this rejection and I thought, well, I want to write a book like that because it re reminds me of university and it's really funny and I, and I like trying to be funny. And I've just had this rejection for a poetry collection. Why not try my hand at writing a novel? So you're going to make the best out of a bad situation to well, use the title. I mean, it, it, isn't, it, isn't that just like David Nichols throwing himself into Startup yeah. 10 after being... Yeah, I've never thought after... about it that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice yeah. one. Yeah, that, I've, no, it, I've it, honestly it, never thought of that. Yeah, I, I suppose there is a parallel there, isn't probably there? happens... Probably happens more often than you think. Yeah, but I, I would always thought that poetry was my thing, and I would never deviate from that because, I've, and also because I don't read very many books. I'm a really slow reader. You know, I, I really struggle to finish a book. So I thought, well, why would I write a book if I can't? I can really struggle to read one. And 
but yeah, I had this rejection and um, yes, it's a bit like David Nichols and although he wrote his in three months, it's taken me much longer than that to do mine. <laughs> I like it, like it does with a book. I imagine he reads a book in about an hour, it takes me a, well, a month. But we're all different, aren't we? I mean, yeah. and some people, they, they write a book and it gets published and sells millions and some people, like I, I saw on, on Twitter today, don't get published until they're 83. So, you know. There's yeah, no, no typical <laughs> uh, yeah, I won't want to wait that long to get a book published or, or a novel published. But, but yeah, it's, it's it's really hard not to compare yourself with with successful people. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, David Nichols was 35, 36 when Star to 10 came out. And then it became a film. And then, yeah. you know, not long after that, he published, um, he wrote uh, One Day, which is sold 5 million copies, made into a film as well. Yeah. Um, his his book, as uh, it asks, was made into a BBC program, yep. which is uh, broadcast during lockdown. Mm. And his latest book, Sweet Sorrow, uh, that's in, that'll be in the pipeline for a, a TV series or a film, inevitably. And mm. what's the, the most irritating thing about it all is that David Nichols seems to be such a nice guy. He does, um, doesn't he? <laughs> he's, he's, he's very, he's extremely generous. He's just ridiculous. He, he did this lovely nice. thing. He did this lovely thing during lockdown. Um, every Thursday, when books uh, traditionally published, he would, if if people weren't getting the publicity that they normally would do because of lockdown, he actually went through, listed all all the ones that people asked him to to promote, and I got him to yeah. promote my my book. And, uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it. that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, see, yeah. there we are then. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was aware that he was, you know, helping to promote people's books during lockdown through social media. I didn't know he'd done that for you, but it's not yeah. not just the book promotion. It's it's just just the, you know I've seen um, talks he's given. You know, he's, I saw one a couple of days ago. Again, it's through Twitter, but he was talking about a short story, uh, uh, Cheever. I think that's the surname. Uh, Jonathan Cheever, maybe. Oh, I'm John, John Cheever, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember who'd asked him to give this overview of, the, of this favourite short story of his. But you just tell from the way he talks about books that you know he lives and breathes it. And hmm. and to to give people, if I can call it, uh, a leg up, you know, to to help draw attention to their own book, which might be in a comparatively small publisher. Because you know he's with Hodder and had mm. films made up of his books. Mm. He's got no, you know, reason really to to promote so many, dare I say, smaller authors, and yet he does. It goes yeah. out of his way. So I really want to dislike him for being so successful, but <laughs> just, just, just cannot. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's 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 annoying when that happens. It really is. <laughs> but yeah, and. I mean, I, like I said, I've yet to read um, Sweet Sorrow and The Ast and uh, God, what else? Well, I, I, I must admit, I, I haven't even read uh, One Day, which I've always meant to read, but I, I will get around to it. I think I shall bump it up the list now. Cause, uh... Yeah, I, I bought it for my wife. You know, she bought Started for Ten and uh, I devoured it. And then I, I bought One Day as a Christmas present and she still hasn't read it. But that's <laughs> mainly, mainly because I started reading it. So it was a bit like that scene in The Simpsons where Homer buys Marge uh, a bowling ball. And obviously it's a present for him rather than for her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I bought One Day for Rachel, my wife. I knew deep down that I was going to read it first. 
and I did. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a very different start to the 10. Mm. It's a romantic novel. Yeah. Um, it's not playing, it's not being played for laughs, although there are some funny bits. But, you know, I've already spoken at length about the level of detail in Star of the Ten. In one day, it's very similar to Star of the Ten in terms of detail, but mm. it's very different in that with Star of the Ten, it basically goes from South End to Bristol, Bristol to South End. Mm. Whereas in, in one day, he's in, you know, he's in Italy, he's in London, you know, he's in a, another European country that I can't remember the name of. But the level of detail is so dense that you absolutely picture yourself or rather the characters in in those specific locations and you, you mm. completely believe it it's yeah and it goes on for 400 pages in this instance or maybe more <laughs> it's a really chunky book but you'll you'll plow through it and again because it's so authentic it's, it's such a, a lot of uh, detail yeah, I thoroughly recommend it. I, I, having said all of that, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did um, Star of Ten, but then that's because I enjoy the funny stuff more than the romantic stuff. But, <laughs> but, but one day is the, is the, the, the magnum opus, uh, as, as far as I can tell. Um, and, uh, you know, and I can see why, because it's, it's an enormous book full of authenticity and love and the occasional gag. And, yeah, this is a wonderful book. Could you tell me a bit about your podcast? The poet Lawrence has gone to his shed. Yeah, I can. Um, th- this yeah. was uh, not my idea. It's the idea of Rick <laughs> Sanders. Um, right. I've, I've, I've listened to a few of them. They're very entertaining. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I almost feel like I ought to apologise for the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the podcast, each one, each episode has a theme, as you know, mm. and uh, the viewing figures are appalling, but we always knew that. And we didn't care, Rick and I. Well, listening figures i should say because it was uh, a way to well to get through lockdown really i mean it was a focus it was something to do when poetry gigs weren't happening i mean rick uh rick sanders does all sorts of wonderful things in the west midlands um he's hosted poetry nights he's done art exhibitions that invite people to respond with poetry he's a fantastic poet himself he's, he's got a book coming out uh, on verve poetry press birmingham based poetry publisher that the publication date was uh, postponed because of lockdown so you know rick sanders is a really talented guy really generous and he approached me and said neil would you like to do a podcast because i've been a guest on his brum radio poet show hmm. and we enjoyed the banter so much that we thought well why not let's have a go at this podcast and the title is his the whole concept is rick's we've done six episodes the first episode is on the theme of cheese the last episode is on the theme of Cambridge. We've talked about slugs. We've talked about coastal paths. And we've got another seven episodes lurking on a memory drive that I need to oh, edit. Right. That I need to edit <laughs> into 20-minute episodes. Editing is the worst bit, isn't it? It is. Um, like, like, with the, <laughs> like the book, it's so, so painful. Um, but yeah. it has to be done, otherwise it's just a sprawling mess. But yeah, the podcast has been a great way to pass the time. I've got some more episodes lined up. It's going to take me a long time to get them out there. And barely anyone listens to them. But I really don't care because if I cared about, you know, readership, listening figures, then I wouldn't bother with poetry. So, yeah, yeah good point. Right. And so as far as the the novel you're working on is concerned, how, how you say, are you editing it now and that it's... 
he's ready to go out. Yeah, I thought I'd casually reference that. Yeah, it's well, I've spent two years writing it, so it's, I'm obviously quite enthusiastic about it. I, I remember reading when I've read loads of advice about writing a novel and how to get it published, getting an agent, and so on and so on. And uh, one thing I remember reading is that you know, no one cares about your book, so mm. yeah, no, no one cares. Me talking about it now, it's like, well, who, who cares about your book? It's not been published, it's so it's your baby, no one else's. But you've asked me the question and I'm answering it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's called Crazy Diamonds. And um, it's about my experience. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, being at Cambridge and uh, bumping into the founder of uh, Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett, which is a true story. So I did actually bump into Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. And, and but obviously that's not enough to write about for <laughs> 300 pages or whatever it is. No, it could so, be so most of it is about. Yeah, yeah, I didn't spin it out that long. Um, it's actually just it's quite a minor episode. But yeah, it's uh, basically an excuse to write about wonderful memories I had at university mm. with a little bit of fiction involved, um, quite a lot of fiction. Um, like Start of Ten, semi-autobiographical. Lots of fun, drinking involved, girls involved, rock and roll. It all sounds really embarrassingly cliched, but it's it's been really enjoyable and I have to get it out there somehow if only to stop thinking about it because whenever I've got a spare moment that's what I think about and they say you know you, you you're going to write a book or, or you'll finish a book if that's all you think about when you have a spare moment yeah. and, and I'm really inspired by Start for Ten um, David Nichols clearly had so much fun writing the book and and you've inspired me even more Jonathan by drawing that parallel between my rejection <laughs> and, and David Nichols' rejection uh, well yeah. cancellation in his in his case so, so yeah it's 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 about Cambridge and Pink Floyd and having fun at university. But uh, maybe I should change my one line in my query letter to say what I've just said, um, because actually I didn't say that in my query letter. I said something about a working class boy who goes to Cambridge, etc., etc. But yeah, it's Cambridge and drink and drugs and rock and roll. That sounds good. Yeah, well, there's a market for that. See if see if that <laughs> happens. Yeah, I thought I'd, I'd get the Pink Floyd fans who'd be at least intrigued mm. by the title. Yeah, um, and I also thought the campus novels aren't as plentiful as people might think they are. Um, well, that, I mean that that was that was the, the thing that I, kept, that I found when I was, I was trying to think of other other novels that 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 fitted into that sort of category. And, yeah. and you're right, there aren't that many these days. It yeah, used to be a staple of the, the, everything written by David Lodge or Malcolm Bradbury, and one or two others. Yeah, David Lodge. Just yeah. tailed off. Yeah, nice, nice work. Um, I'm lucky, Jim, and they spring to mind. And changing one places, da- changing places was that one? History man, eating people's wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, Ripsy Bogle, which is one that my friend Alex recommended by an Irish author whose name I've forgotten. Ripley Bogle. I, I think know that one. Shortlisted the book. I may have just made that up, but mm. yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling to think of many campus novels. So I, I thought, mm. well. You know, if I if I was to send it to some agents, they they might think to themselves, "Oh, we don't get many of these, so let's give it a shot." But maybe yeah. I'm being incredibly naive um, <laughs> because the world of literary agencies is completely foreign to me, and it's, yeah, it's it's a punt. It's a strange world. I mean, I've I've been there and um, not got very far with it. <laughs> yeah, but. You have to try because it's that that yeah. constant itch, isn't it? It's like if I if I don't, yeah. if I don't do this, I'm gonna 
think a lot less of myself it's going to really annoy me that i never pursued my my true potential. yeah i mean the, the thing is thing is you will always regret not 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 trying wouldn't you yeah that's the thing yeah so i'm going to do it and if only to say that i tried um and yeah. then it'll be back to the poetry and writing what i consider to be witty you know commentaries yeah. on the world but maybe won't be considered witty by 90 percent of the publishers i send the poems to but it doesn't doesn't matter because if I didn't do it, I mean one thing I like more than poetry a lot of the time is writing a blog. You know, just you know, mm. writing, putting my spin on things, whatever it might be at the time. So, yeah, it's, I'm always writing. It's if you took the computer and the pens and paper away, I'd go mad, go bonkers. <laughs> well, that seems a good place to uh, draw it to a conclusion. So, thank you very much for coming along. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, this place is intended to be free from adverts and Patreon requests, but if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to reward us by buying our books. Neil is on Twitter as Neil Lawrenson, and his website is at neillawrenson.com. I'm on Twitter as John Pinnock, and my website is at jonathanpinnock.com. And do please rate, review, and subscribe. You'll find this podcast in all the usual places. Next time, I'll be talking to writer and podcast superstar Andy Miller, about Douglas Adams's last chance to see. See you then. <laughs> and that is that. <laughs>